Welcome to Hearthside Salons. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you conversations with creators and innovators to feed your creative fire. I recently found my baby quilt in a box that we'd stuffed together after my mom died. Seeing it again after so many years, I was instantly three years old and I felt secure and loved. All the memories from that fabric. I packaged it up and I sent it to my sister. It was hers after it was mine. And now it belongs to her new baby. Many cultures create memory quilts or story quilts to pass on family history, give a sense of comfort or rootedness. Today, we're in this question of what is it that fades and what do we get to keep? Fiber and textile artist Liberty Worth believes textiles hold the energy of the maker. They hold memory. Among the many things she does is work with people to move through grief over a lost loved one by creating memorial quilts from their clothing. She says creativity is one of the most powerful tools for healing and she's found purpose in holding a space for grief. We start by talking about how she got there. Well, Liberty, thank you so much for joining me on Hearthside Salons. It's great to see you. Yes, I'm so glad to be here. Well, I wanted to start by talking about, you know, I like to start by talking about childhood and like origin stuff. So you grew up here in LA, right? I did. I'm like a unicorn. I'm (laughs) one of the rare kids actually from here. Yeah, we we exist. And I married a unicorn too, which is really funny. Um, But yeah, I grew up in the South Bay and um, it wasn't very urban where I grew up and it was pretty much a suburban beach town lifestyle, which was not really who I was. So I was a little bit like I felt a little fish out of water for a long time. Um, And um, but I did grow up in a really creative family. So my dad is a toy inventor. And he, so there was always creativity around us and things were always in prototype form or what if we did this or let's try this. So it was a very inventive and um, I think it's a unique childhood. It's also, you know, he was an entrepreneur. So he would say like, you know, let's go to work. And I thought work was really fun. Work was like a fun thing because like yeah. I could go to work and play with the toys there. And and I knew all the people there and it was a small business. And it was just, there. as a kid, it felt, I mean, it wasn't like, um, like living at Santa's workshop, but it was, it, you know, or I think even when we were little, there was a show called Silver Spoons about the kid who's dad yes. was a toy inventor. It wasn't like that. <laughs> it it young- wasn't quite like that. With a young what? Rick Schroeder. Yeah. And it was yeah. still Ricky Schroeder. Right. Exactly. So that's, I didn't grow up like that. It was more often my dad would like take apart a toy that I had and be like, no, see, it's fine. I just needed the tail mechanism. You can use it as a finger puppet now, you know? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it does sound amazing. Like Santa's workshop on a, in a like sleepy beach town. It sounds pretty idyllic. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I think it created in me a, um, just a love for work. I mean, honestly, like creative work has always sounded plausible and doable. And I grew up never ashamed of wanting to make art that sells or to, you know, make my living or, um, 
just do things creative as a job. Like to me, that was really fun. I think I'm not very like snobby about like, oh, this is my art and you, you can't buy it. And, you know, um, maybe I'm a little precious when I first finished. Thing. <laughs> let's be honest. But, but eventually I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, I, I love the idea of art that works and art that does something or, or, connects with something. And, oh yeah. Um, yeah. So just that, that type of functionality is really a big deal because my dad is more a designer first than an artist. And so mm. it's, it was really more like design and, and I grew up in a very designed um, environment. Interesting. Cause it sounds like your family would have been more shocked if you were like, mom, dad, I want to run away and be an accountant. It's so funny you say that. I was like, I know she's going to say accountant because my mom is the accountant for the oh. business. <laughs> so, um, but actually they would have been surprised, I think, because, you know, in doing, in being the accountant, she was still there at the business and in this creative thing. If I had said like, I wanted to be a lawyer, they would have been like, really? What? <laughs> um, because there's just, you know, creativity was just sort of how we rolled. Yeah. And, oh, that's um, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. My sister ended up doing like marketing, but she, you know, still a creative version of it. And, yeah. and these things that are very more out of the box, more fluid type thinking. Yeah. That's kind of how our family culture is. That's so cool. Yeah. And then you went to Pepperdine and the Art Institute of Chicago. Well, I went to Pepperdine for my undergrad and then I immediately, it was so funny because very few people in my program actually wanted jobs. And so when I was graduating, they, someone came to me and said, well, um, did you, do you actually want a job in art? And I was like, yeah, I want a job, you know, like, of course I want a job. And, um, I got, and actually I had just returned from a semester abroad in Italy where I was studying ah. in Florence. Yeah. And, um, I had all these textile samples from this textile design class I had taken there ah. and I didn't really have like a resume or anything. I was just hanging my senior show at school. And I, um, I ended up just applying by bringing in the stuff that I was going to hang later that day. I was like wearing jeans. I'm like, this is what I got. And, um, it was a lot of interviews, but I did get the job. And so, because of that job, they had a big continuing education program. And I was able through that job to take a lot of classes at Art Institute of Chicago. And then eventually I took some at Art Center as well, not for a degree. If I wish I had had the time for that, but I did get to take a number of classes, which were really fun. That's really cool. I, I didn't yeah. realize that you had done the study abroad in Italy. And of course we all have this Italy connection, yes, which yes. I, I love. Um, we are friends in common with Sylvia Gallini, who was one of our early Hearthside guests. And uh, I didn't realize that you had been had studied in Italy. So, I mean, what was that like to be in this incredible town of Florence dealing with design and fabric and history? And Oh, it was amazing. I, I, I went there not really knowing what to expect. I was like, cool, textile design sounds fun. And so I did that and a... Um, a life drawing class. So my classes were like, I think it was like eight or nine hours a day of classes. Wow. And just these two classes, it was a shortened um, semester. And, um, but what was really neat about the textile design class was it was in a converted convent. Ugh. And oh my gosh, it was amazing. There's frescoes on the walls and we had the, all these little tiny rooms that we were in. And the, the director there kept 
like documents of all the students who had come through and we were doing silk painting and batik and it just felt like I loved during my time there that I like I became a regular at certain restaurants and yeah I would like I knew that I had doors that were open to me. You know, like when you go in as a tourist, you're not like the yes. doors are not open to you and you walk by all these cool things. And you're like, what? I wonder what's behind that. And I think what I loved was that I had doors that were open to me. I had all these different places that I could go and walk in and belong and be a part of something. So that was pretty amazing. Um, I actually went back. I took my husband back about 12 years later and we found this, the old school and the lady was like, oh, I remember you. And she's pulling Aww. out pictures. And I, I was like, I can't believe this. It was really amazing. It was like, I, I was like, I did do this. Like it really did happen. That's wonderful. Yeah. Could you ever see yourself living there, like working at a school like that, teaching at a school like that? Oh gosh. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. I would love that. Yeah, it would. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It would be amazing. I would love to do that. I, I love teaching. Um, I actually used those skills and now, now you say that I used those skills. I taught hundreds of interior designers how to do silk painting when I was doing corporate work. It was like one of our like little team builder type things that we would do. Um, cause I was, became fun. a textile designer professionally and I designed a whole curriculum on, um, silk painting and we taught hundreds of designers that would come to our factory in Georgia. And we would do this thing on this artsy farm that we had hired out. Oh, it was crazy. So great. I loved that. I really loved it. I, I, I love teaching. It's one of my great joys. Yeah, I me feel too. like everyone needs some tools to yes. tap into things and they don't realize how available they are sometimes. Yes. Well, what's your favorite gelato flavor? Actually yogurt flavor. Oh, that I do like that. Yeah. That's my favorite. I dream about that. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh gosh. That's been the hardest thing for me this year is, is, is the fact that we weren't able to go do any of our class time in Italy. And cause yeah. I do like we go and we, we work out of a, you know, a convent and we have, we're regulars and ha we know yeah. we have our places that where everyone knows us. And you know, that's been truly heartbreaking. That's to just... great. Where, what part of Italy is it again that you're in? We are in Umbria in the town of Orvieto. Okay. And okay. it's, just such a charming, you know, hill town. There's a, one of the like world-class cathedrals of Italy is there. So they get a lot of mm -hmm. tourism for, you know, yeah, like religious tourists, but it's such a cute little town. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about the travel and textile connection. Cause I know you like to travel and gather textiles. My first <laughs> textile memory was, was probably when I was about 10 years old, my parents took us to Hong Kong. Oh, so wow. my dad being in the toy industry had a lot of business in Hong Kong. And so he was there a whole summer and my mom flew over with my sister and I, and we met him. And, cool. and I remember walking through the markets there thinking like, and touching silks and that was really inspiring. And then in another like scene in my mind is when I was about, I think I was about 17, we went to Kenya and I remember the Maasai people and the different and learning about their textiles. And um, so I, I feel like we were fortunate to travel a lot yeah. and um, it just created a passion in me for, you know, I, textiles are so wonderful because it's like you, you get something that was made by someone there yes. and 
then you get to bring it back with you and it doesn't take up a lot of space, but it can become other things. I don't know that I even did anything with the textiles initially. I just sort of like loved them. But over the years, as I learned to sew, eventually I was like, oh my gosh, I can use these things. So the big trip that I took where I really went nuts on and I brought a whole suitcase home of textiles was when I went to South Africa. In, oh yeah. It was uh, 2016 or 2016 maybe or 2018. Um, and I went and I just, I brought home an entire, and I did, I did research on like which of the best ones I wanted to go, you know, do it and um, buy. And um it was like a religious experience for wow. me. I brought home so much. I'm still working away at some of that stuff. Um, but I love, I love other cultures. I love trying to find a way that um, honors the maker of the, the original thing that I, you know, that the person that I bought it from, I I'm love listening to story. Story is so important. And so connecting with the people who are, the makers of things are, is really important to me. So mm. for me, it's a way of preserving memory, really. I love that. And then it's like, and it fits right into what you do with yeah. you know, the memory quilts and stuff. And I also love to buy textiles and, and my thing is always lace. Like I always like to buy lace from the places I travel and it's almost always made by women. Yeah. So there's like that connection of like, I don't know you, we're, we're from different cultures, but like as women, we can connect because I appreciate your thing, you know, the, the yeah. domestic arts that are like, ah. and some of these things are so like, I feel like they're lost except for these women that still do this stuff. And so I, I yeah. always, I have a whole collection of, <laughs> my husband likes to joke that I'm, I'm already 80 years old. I have a whole collection of like all these lace doilies that are just like, they're all really cool. And they're all really different from like yeah. the one, the ones from like, Hungary from the one that from Portugal from the ones from France are and they're all in Ireland they're all so different in the style yeah well you're talking to a quilter so I'm I've been 80 years old for a while too. I know I love it <laughs> so when did you start when did you first start quilting well um so it I have to go back a step which was when I was doing this corporate textile design like filling in little tiny pixels on a computer screen, listening to house music in a design center. Like, you know, I would come home at night and I was like, I need something low tech. You know, I just needed to like put my hands on something and I didn't know what to do. And there were some fabric samples from projects at work. And I would, I found a needle and thread and was like doing weird embroidery that was not really embroidery. And um, I like, I like not knowing the rules, but then I kind of have to learn the rules too. Um, and so I was just anything I could do with my hands. I was like, I got to find something that make, pulls me away from the computer screen. I'm so tired of being high tech. And I started making jewelry and I ended up trading jewelry with my mother-in-law's friend to teach me how to sew because I had this one skirt I wanted to make. Huh. And, um, it was so funny. And that ended up launching like a skirt business that I had on the side of my daytime job. And I would do these two things. And um, eventually I just had all these scraps and I was sitting around with all these scraps going, what am I going to do with this? So a slightly fast forward where those skirts actually quit my day job and those skirts paid our mortgage for a little while. It was crazy. Wow. I know it was weird. Um, and we agree. And it was a Chicago mortgage, which is not an LA mortgage. <laughs> it is an important distinction. Yes. Yes. 
um, but then what was interesting was um, I was in a like a local Los Angeles. We were living in Chicago. We moved back. Um, I was in a Los Angeles mom's group. And one of the ladies was like, has anyone ever wanted to try quilting? And I was like, yeah, that's on my bucket list. I had a list of things I wanted to do before I turned 50. And it was on there. And so I thought, I'll make a quilt. That sounds cool. And mostly it was like us sitting around drinking wine going, did you try that block this month? And I was so hard. And But eventually I had these like 12 blocks and I was like, what am I going to do with it? I think I have to put these together. The timing was really great because right then was there was a new movement called the Modern Quilt Guild that was getting started. And all of a sudden there was all these young people who looked like me. I had like way less tattoos than everyone there. I was like, oh, I only have a few tattoos, you know, all these super <laughs> cool people and um, like costumers and like L.A. types, you know, right. and I was just thrown into this group of people who were just playing with fabric and making this two-dimensional art, but it, it didn't look like there wasn't any ducks and bunnies in sight. You know, there was no like, none of the like Americana and all this stuff. With my name, Liberty, I hate Americana stuff. So um, <laughs> like, I do not want any red, white, and blue stuff at all. But um, I, so I'm kind of averse to all that. And I grew up in a, like I said, a very designed um, home. My parents, like my dad loves mid-century modern stuff. So I, quilting was kind like not really attractive to me until I saw this other form of it. And that was where I was like, okay, I'm all in. This is textile design. This is working with my hands. I get to be low tech. And there was a great community around it too. So I just sort of learned by hanging out with people who knew more than me. Awesome. I think that's the best way to learn. Yeah. That's, I learned to knit when I went to Ireland and met my aunt for the first time. And, and I, so I told her like, that's the one thing I want to leave here. You know, I don't need to buy a bunch of souvenirs, but I, I want to learn, I leave here knowing how to knit. Oh, and she that. was like, okay. And she sat down and taught me how to knit and, you know, that's which is great. another, yeah. Which is another, like, you know, I feel like it, there's a lot more boys who knit now, but you know, at the time it just seems like historically it's such a female yeah. Women are the one who knit the sweaters and who keep the, you know, family yeah. warm. And I love buying hand knitted stuff in other, when I travel and yeah, like this, every, every, every inch of this has passed through some woman's hands and like, you know, I, I do love the concept of women's work. I love, um, I love the dichotomy of like how, why is it a low art? Because it's, you know, yeah. and yet, the demand for the quality is so high. It's so yeah. strange. And I, I think to me, that's a subject I just really enjoy thinking about. And I love the irony of making like currently what I'm making are some pretty unfunctional quilts, like too small. They're wall art, but it's like, uh-huh. yeah, sure. It's a quilt, but actually I'm going to call it art, a painting because it's on a canvas. So there do something with that. You know, I love it. Um, but it's still women's work and it still honors like the tradition of like hundreds and hundreds of years of women yeah. who, you know, mended things and put things back together. Yeah. I have yeah. always wanted, you know, like to buy an Amish quilt or something. And I'm like, oh God, I could never afford it because they're so expensive. And they are. My mom and I were driving in um, North Carolina one time and we we pulled over at this quilt shop like on the side of the road and she decided to go for it and invested in this massive quilt that this little old lady had made. And, you know, there's 
quilt parts all over the place. And, you know, when my mom, when my mom passed, I I got the quilt. Wow. So it's like, I have this one quilt that, you know, that was made by an actual, you know, an actual historical quilting lady. I have subsequently made my own quilt, which is literally just straight lines because I can't manage anything else. But uh, I decided that for our wedding, I wanted to give my husband something unusual. So I made us a quilt and I had um, panels that were for people to sign instead of a guest book. Yeah. yeah so, so like our, 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 my gift to him was a quilt with our, all of the people wishing us love. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. And I, it took me replaceable too. Yeah. And it's interesting because for a while I was like, oh, we probably shouldn't use it. And it's like, no, it's okay if the signatures fade. It's okay. You know, it's like, we can't not use it, yeah. you know, and they're faded a little, but they're still there. What a great gift. I love that. Tell me about, you know, you've started quilting and people could buy quilts, but when did you make to turn? What made you make the turn into actually making memory quilts with people? It, you know, it was just a request of someone. Um, I think well, I'm kind of a fast quilter. So my quilting buddies knew that. And they were like, oh, Liberty's like prolific and always making stuff. So sometimes, some, at some point, and I don't remember what my first quilt commission was, um, somebody just was like, would you do one for hire? And I was like, sure, I gotta whip that out. You know, there was someone who asked, they said, hey, I was, asked by someone if I could turn grandpa's flannel shirts into a quilt and nobody said yes and I was like yeah I'll try it but you know that sounds great so um I did that and I had so much fun doing it and being a part of that process of honoring this grandfather that I had never met um that when they, those people were excited about their quilt and then they told someone else and it just started the ball rolling. So that's one aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it um, is that after, as an artist, after having gone, I had some pretty significant grief and trauma in my life at um, about 10 years ago. And I was in actually in my classes at art center and I had this phenomenal group of people around me and I was processing all of this stuff Mm. live, like in the class, in the artwork I was making. And it was a mixed media class. And my professor there was like, you know, like put this into like the quilts can be collages too. So I started bringing those two sides of me together, like this quilting Uh. side and this collaging side. And I, found that I had a lot of, um, well, I found that the art itself could help a little bit with the healing that I needed. So I began um, pouring things into that. And I made one, one quilt in particular about that journey. And I could not believe how much therapy that quilt became to me. And, um, from there, I think we're, you know, I, my style started evolving and, and I, I developed a stronger artistic voice within my quilts so that people would be like, well, that is definitely one of Liberty's Mm. quilts, you know, and then that perpetuates itself in another way. So it was a little bit of a convergence of all of those things, right? This like, yeah, I'm for hire, but also like I use this to process grief and it made me less afraid of other people's grief. And um, 
I also, I actually also teach workshops on like oh. art and how it's healing to people. So yeah. those are mixed media and I, but I was being pulled into grief groups. So all of this started happening. And then eventually people understood that I was sensitive to their grief and also unafraid of it. You know, I think that if you've gone through grief, you have this ability to understand, like to spot people who are like, oh, okay, that person has been through something also that, you know, they've survived. And when you're in that place, you can recognize it in other people and, and you are unafraid of it yourself. So in being unafraid to partner with people in that, these memory quilts, now some of them are not grief. There's like, you know, I do wedding quilts. I Mm. do anniversary quilts or go to college quilts or whatever. Sure. But um, I think the real emotional partnership comes in when, when it is an actual memorial quilt. It's, it's so interesting because I, especially in our culture, we're so death averse and grief averse. And I think, you know, it, people don't know, no, no, people don't know where to reach when they're grieving. And people around that person don't know what to do. Right. You know, I feel like in times past, everyone would have just brought over a casserole or something, but like, we don't really live that way anymore. So, so there's this kind of shutting off of like, I don't want to hear your grief. And I, you know, I don't know how to share my grief. And so it must be really just amazing, exceptional and strange. And I would imagine wonderful in different weird ways for you to be in that space with the family or with this person. It is. It can be really hard. I I have found myself even grieving people I've never met before. I bet. You know, so like when there's something really difficult about turning someone's clothing back into usable fabric, that's, that's incredibly painful. And I have to like prep myself mentally before I do that. Um, So that's one thing. Um, And then you're sewing it back together and you're just trying to like tap into without getting all like woo woo, like just, you're just trying to tap into like an energy that would make this come alive for the person who needs it, you know, Mm. and that it would comfort the person who's grieving. And um, so I think a lot, and even if I don't know the person who passed, I think a lot about that person as I'm sewing. And I try to like, you know, be projecting comfort. I really, I really believe that, which is woo woo. I really believe that textiles hold things and that they, like I said, like they, they bring the maker with them. Right. So the person who made that textile originally in Kenya is, has a hand in what I'm making now. Well, the same way that the wearer of these things also is, um, is kind of has left something of themselves with mm-hmm. me as I'm making this. So um, I just try to do my best to honor that, you know, and to um, just to tap into what, what they would want for their family who needs this. Obviously they need this comfort. And so yeah. that's where I try to go. I love that. It's like a meditation. It's like, like doing a rosary or something where it's just it this is. like, yeah. Yeah. It's like you're imbuing it with something. Oh yeah. It's a lot like that. And I, I heard another woman who I know who does memorial quilts and she was saying, you know, when you're doing these a lot of times, especially in the hand stitching part, your hands are doing a repetitive motion and your heart and your mind and your hands are all aligned. Mm. And it, it's, it's just 
there's like a, it, there's a very centering moment that happens. It's very meditative. Wow. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. I, I, in terms of things being imbued from with the energy of the maker and, and cause all I know is knitting as well, which is similarly meditative and repetitive. Yeah. We were in New Zealand last year, just before lockdown. And, um, we were in this little market and this, this woman was selling sweaters that she'd made. And I was just like, I went over to this sweater that was this weird color and it was a weird shape, like not really the most flattering sweater, but I just put my hands on it. I'm like, oh, I need this. Yeah. I need to take this home with me. I need to have this sweater. And it's like, I don't need a thick wool sweater in Los Angeles. But like, I just really, there was something about it that I just wanted to have it with me. Yeah. And it, and it, no, I've, I've not worn it often, but when I have, it's incredibly comforting. Yeah. So whatever wonderful. that woman had imbued with her meditation or she was making that sweater, I don't know. I just wanted it with me. Yeah. So that's the, that's what I hope for all of my work that the yeah. people who receive it, whether it's a memorial piece or if it's just one of my fine art pieces, I, I, that's what I'm really hoping is that they're able to understand that I am like, I put myself into this work. Yeah. I, it's, it's so interesting when we talked about this before, I, 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 I've tried to not regret the fact that, you know, when I, when we were cleaning out my dad's place, for example, you know, there were so many big feelings and so many things, and it was such a monumental task that all I could think of was get it done, get it done. And I regret so much not grabbing. He had a bunch of flannel shirts, mm -hmm. like, just like you're saying, and they were all these different, you know, colors and patterns, like very seventies vibe. And I regret so mm -hmm. much not grabbing them. And I was talking with someone about that and they're like, well, it's not like you would have worn them. And I kind of went, yeah, you're right. And then I thought, no, but I could have had them, you know, I could have made them into a quilt or had you make them into a quilt. And, <laughs> you know, I could have had that because I, I think of it now, how much comfort that would have brought me to see those patterns and, and feel that fabric. And like, that was the, sh those were the shirts I saw on my dad for as long as I can remember. Right. And that I just didn't grab it while I could right you know right I understand that what have you learned about yourself from being in that space with these families that are grieving I've learned that some of the things that are really really scary it's kind of the whole this too shall pass mm. you know I've well I've learned that there's beauty in pain for sure yeah you know um I think some of my best artwork has come from deep pain, deep sadness, specifically, probably more than any other pain. Um, and I, I love being able to offer that to people. Um, it's like a gift. I feel like one thing I've learned is that it's, you know, this isn't the whole thing I do. Like I don't only do memory quilts, but right. I think that it's one of those things where I'm like, this is, this is one of those reasons I'm here. Like mm. this, is, this is one of the reasons I am where I am at this time with these skills, because part of me has this gift to give to these people. So I think that's something I've learned is a, a portion of my purpose. It's a sense of purpose. That's amazing. Are there any stories then like any stories you can think of to share about a specific garment or fabric that, and like what, like when you saw what the process meant to a client? Well, I think the most moving one I did was, um, 
a it was a father of a, a friend of my son's. So someone my age passed suddenly. Oh gosh. His wife and daughter were really excited about creating a, a piece from his clothing. And it was the most intimately a family has ever involved me in that process. They brought me over and were like, we had, we had tea together and we had cake. Um, and then they took me into his closet and we're like, let's pick stuff together. And that, I was like, wow, this is really intimate. It was much more than just getting a box of things. Um, I walked through his closet and I pulled out things. Um, then when it came, and they're the only family who's ever requested this. Um, when it came time to cut the fabrics into, or cut the clothing back into fabrics, they wanted to be a part of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And we stood in my house that time and they told me all the stories about the different clothing items. Wow. And that gave me such a I had such a gravity about it. I mean, also because I was mourning him too. Like he was, he was the first one whose clothing I was doing that I actually knew and who I was grieving for. Right. Um, and they, and, and it what was great is that he was this wonderful um, musician and director and his wife is a designer. And I really, and they're, she's Danish and he's Swiss. And I just wanted to like bring all their cool style and all this art mm. that they had in their house into it. And I was, it was so hard to like, I was like, how can I do this honor? You know, like it was, it was really, really intimidating actually. Like I I'm pretty confident in my skills, but this was really intimidating because how could I do a good enough job for this? Um, I just, I really sat with it. I was very, very careful. And, you know, even sometimes when you get these clothes, they'll have things in the pockets. Like I oh. found a train ticket and I found, oh. you know, it was, it was intense. I even saved the zippers because I, I saved them for other projects. And it was really, it was really a moving experience. So when I finished it and gave it to them, I was hoping they would love it. I didn't realize how much they would love it. And they Ugh. still talk, they still talk about it. Like the daughter now, she's 14 now and she and her friends had me teach a sewing camp to them because oh, they cute. all wanted to learn how to do it and um, I did a whole week of sewing with these girls and um, and actually just this week they asked they're like okay we're ready to do a second quilt from dad's clothes so Aww. they're gonna I'm gonna help coach them now to make nice it. yeah oh, that's yeah so, so lovely yeah is that's a really it's a it's a very sad and also it is a joyful story because like um, the mom has said, you know, when we travel, we come home and we just wrap ourselves up in his clothing. And oh. I, I mean, it's, I mean, the quilt is giant. It's so big. They can both fit in it. And it's, I love it. It's really, it's really wonderful to feel like I was a part of that. I feel like it was, that was one of my, that was one of my like gifts to the world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> If I look back on my life, that's one of my gifts. <laughs> well, it's funny because I usually ask, you know, what's what do you want your legacy to be or what do you think your legacy will be? But I think that's the answer is all these moments of comfort that get to stay with people forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just this week, I, I mean, I'm looking at it across the room. I got a, a box of a brother's jeans who passed away, oh. unfortunately, and the family is really excited to have, they're going to put some pieces of letters. We're going to put the print letters onto fabric and we're going to make something um, 
that re- that properly memorializes their love for him. You know, I, I think, yeah, that's, that probably is my legacy more than anything else as yeah. far as like creatively speaking, I've got children, so I, I have to, I have There's to say that. my legacy, right? But, um, <laughs> but, but the reality is I think creatively, I just, if I look at like, what do I want my creative voice to have said in the world? I, what I desperately want is to be a part of promoting healing for other people. And I don't kid myself and think that I'm the conduit for that. But I, but I do know that I can be a small, you know, just a little part of their journey of healing. And ideally it would come through all the forms of my art. And when I'm teaching and when I'm just doing fine art and when I'm doing these memory quotes or whatever, all of it centers around the concept that I really think that creativity is a, is one of the most powerful tools for healing that we have. And I think it's, um, not everyone realizes that. Yeah. Well, even just listening to you talk about how several times you've said that the, that that people are excited to do this and to move into this space with you. I don't recall anything grieving either of my parents that I was excited about, mm-hmm. you know, and that's like, that's such a nice shift. It is. Yeah. And someone asked me even this morning, they said, well, when is the appropriate time to tell a friend like, oh, you know, I have this friend who makes this stuff. And I was like, wait, just wait. Like, it's not immediate. It's not when someone just passed like that. You have to wait till the right moment. Um, because it's, it's a very, I found it's usually between like two and seven years. Wow. Okay. That's, I mean, maybe there's some people who are a little bit more cut and dry with things, but it's, there's, it's also, you know, it's rarely the people that had a really natural, slow, glorious passing on into the next life that you need a quilt for. Yeah. It's usually the ones that you really are like grieving heavily for. Yeah. So it's, it's a part of the grief process. You know, there's so many stages of grief. And I think yeah. that when we get into the place where we're ready to do something and not have those clothing, that clothing sitting in a box in the shed outside. And then we're like, why did I save this? that's when it's time, you know, or, you know, or if the person is living and you're just making a memory, like I recently finished um, one with um, a boy's childhood clothing. It's when, you know, that it still is not like immediately, you know, it's because the, the sentimentality doesn't, it builds. Right. So like you look back one year and you're like, "Eh," and then you look back five years and like, Oh my gosh, it's so great. You know? So (laughs) the, I think a little bit of distance helps. Yeah, that totally makes sense because it feels like the thing, the object, the item of clothing or the piece of art is from, it's no longer a daily thing. It's something from a a slice of the past that you have no other way to touch anymore. Right. Yeah. And it's funny because I've been talking and connecting with um, a lot of professional organizers lately because I was like, oh, during COVID, you know, everyone's like cleaning out their closets. Yeah. And you know, you think of all those things that you're like, I don't want to get rid of that. I bought it in blah, blah, blah. And I did this thing and I had my first date and blah, blah, blah. But you don't want to get rid of it, but you know, it's never going to, but you don't need it. Yeah. You don't need it. So, um, it's been really funny to connect with people because they're like, Oh, this is exactly what we should be doing with those items that are precious, like kind of Marie Kondo our lives, but there's some things that you kind of have you know, you still have, they take a place in your heart and those things are, this is great to do it with, you know, 
I had someone recently say like, oh, you know, this person who passed, like, we just have all their aprons still. It's like, well, then let's make a little wall piece, you know, like, like, let's do something small and that just honors it. Like you need so little fabric. I mean, honestly, like you need like this much and you can add in other things, but you really need like this much. Like I'm holding my hands up right now. Like the size of a dinner plate. Like a dinner plate size of fabric can be enough to call up that memory. Yeah. Well, we were speaking earlier about my, my grandmother's quilt that, you know, it's not a, it's not a beautiful, it's not like a, oh my God, the craftsmanship, it's amazing or anything. But at the time it was just like, it was just always around and someone would be kicking around, like it would be on someone's bed or other or on the couch. And it was not, I didn't even think of it as special until, you know, she died in the eighties, I think. And it showed up in this box of family stuff. And I was like, oh my God, grandma's quilt. And now I'm like, and it's full of holes. And like, now I want to keep it and I want to preserve it. And I want to save it. It's like, I have no other visual daily reminder or anything of her presence. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, what's so beautiful about these kind of things. And isn't it strange that it's an art that you can wrap around yourself? Yes. It's so important. I think the, the the hug aspect of it, Mm -hmm. I have the last, uh, the last thing my mom got me was a sweater and it's a sweater that I don't, you know, it's not like particularly in or anything anymore, but I can't get rid of it because I I feel like this is the last hug from my mom, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it is interesting how it's all textile based and, and clothing and memory and texture. I don't know at what point I just decided like, no, textiles really do hold memories, but I am just like all in on that concept because there's so many, um, there's just so many stories like what you just shared. Yeah. Yeah. Allison, did you have any, any comments or questions you wanted to chime in with? I'm also a quilter, not an artistic one like you, but you know, I totally, absolutely, hundred percent get what you're talking about. I particularly love scrap quilts and using fabric. So, like, you know, using the fabric from previous quilts to create a new one. So, I did a, a quilt a few years ago that's all scraps. Whenever I look at it, every rectangle, every piece is is a I want to say a three and a half by two rectangle, and then they're all pieced together. And it's great because I look at it every so often and I'm reminded, okay, that fabric's in that quilt and this fabric's in another quilt and this this fabric is from the curtains at the ca- at the family cabin. It's really fun to look at that. And like, like when I made a quilt for my nephew, I tried to use at least a little piece from every one of the cousins quilts that I had made. And so that we were looking at it. And then of course one of the cousins cousins she's like, oh where's the one from my my wedding quilt? I'm like, oh no, it didn't make it in. <laughs> anyway, so it's a patch. Um, it's a patch. I, I, I know. That's really I funny. love that. I love that. And I hadn't really considered it before you said that, but but about textiles holding memory. There's such an important conduit, and you also do all kinds of textile art, and you also do med- meditations and stuff, right? What draws you most to meditation? What do you get out of it, and what do you encourage in others? I start every day in prayer. I just I can't function without it. Um, and having three kids and now all of us being on lockdown for almost a year, um, the house feels very full. Mm. And so for me, I have to, I am up at six because I am up before everyone because I need, 
I need to gather myself and get into a place of quiet and listening before I can start my day. That's how I refuel. So I fill up there. That's where I'm like, a lot of times I'm just listening and I just write down little blips of things and that I feel like my heart saying lately on Instagram, I've just been like doing these little post-its of like, just thoughts. Yeah. Those are not like, um, pick up the dry cleaning. Those are like, what's a good one? Like I am a work in progress or strike a rich vein or we connect through our pain. Hmm. So just things that I'm like, that sort of take shape in my brain. Yeah. I write them down. And so I do that in the morning and then I come into my studio, right? These days during COVID times, I'm coming, I'm doing the homeschool stuff in the morning. And then I come at night to my studio. I sort of rehash things. I do a lot of, there's a lot of silence. Like sometimes I'm like music, I can't handle anything right now, you know? So I'm, I'm really truly just like sitting here and working with my hands and then things just sort of float into my head and I write them down and I just think about them. You know, like there's another one here that says, what is it that fades and what do we get to keep? You know, about memory. Yeah. It's, they're kind of like poems. I do write poetry that's longer form, but I think right now, all I can handle is these little like one-liners, yeah. you know, like, like aphoristic writing. It's all I have the mental bandwidth for. Yeah. So I spend, I, you know, I, I just leave them there and I think about them and I come back to them and some of them become titles for my pieces. Um, some of them just hang out and encourage me and remind me that I can tolerate discomfort or mm. whatever, <laughs> like just different things. Well, and, and um, the thing you just said too, that the last one about what fades and what do we keep or what do we, what we get to keep ties so to me exactly with what you do, because I think what fades is the upset and the anger and what we keep is the love. I love that. I love that. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And the connection through pain. I mean, that's me as a writer and a storyteller. That's that's what we do. We write about other people's pain so that we as viewers can go, oh, I get that. I feel that I can let go of some of mine now without having to necessarily go through it again because the yeah. character did, you know, so oh, it's totally. You know, so there's um, I had a therapist once tell me that when we process things, it's like we can scrape that top layer off. Yeah. And we can. And then once that top layer is off, it becomes external to us and we can, and the new things can rise up. Right. And so yeah. that's what I feel like when my, when I'm teaching my art classes, a lot of what I'm doing is trying to help people like just get the first layer. We're not, and I'm not your therapist and I'm not going to go into your stuff with you, but what I am going to do is I'm going to help you get that first layer off. And then now that's external and new things can rise up, you know? And so I think that like art can do that for you. A great movie can do that for yeah. you. I feel like I was like emotionally healed from watching um, Tree of Life. <laughs> ah. <laughs> like, I saw that when I was like, oh, but I had like this big experience and I was like, there's nice. things literally that's left off of me because of that movie, you know? And so I think I can totally relate to what you're saying, but like yeah. we can experience other people's art or even our own art. And, and that can happen that way. Yeah. So are you, are you teaching online now or are you still teaching in the moment? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. I haven't, I haven't done um, any in the last little bit, last little season, but um, I am teaching online. I, you know, what's fun is the mixed media stuff is like stuff you have at home. 
So yes, you don't even need to prep materials. You can just find, you know, you get yourself a glue stick and scissors and you're ready to go. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I did have, um, at least before our last surge, I had a little social distance outdoors masks on, um, class that I was teaching weekly. That was really fun. And I can't wait for that to start up again. I love it. I was thinking I would like to take that and people can find that at libertyworthart.com. Yeah, they can go to my website. I don't have my classes listed right now, but you can always just contact me and go through the contact sheet and yeah. I can tell you what's up. Yeah, I would actually look because I was taking classes with Sylvia, you know, and, and we were doing it online and then she hasn't, she went to Italy and we haven't done another online class, but it was super fun to play with color and play with texture and just whatever, whatever comes out. Yeah. I miss well, that. I think play is, is that is that access to creativity, you know? Yeah. Like we just have to remember how to do it. Yeah. So what's next for you after, I mean, like either now in COVID or post COVID, or do you, do you have a, are you, are you envisioning a show going up somewhere or? Well, I've got a lot of things going on, even though I didn't really set out to, I, you know, I think I was just trying to survive at first and now all these balls are rolling and I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm still working on a series of 50 of my, um, my small pieces, okay. I call them busy flowers. And I don't know where they're going to go eventually, but I want to make 50 and Fair. I have this, I don't know why, but I'm, I'm having a lot of fun making them. So that's, that's one thing that's like an ongoing thing that I'm doing. I also have recently sent out some book proposals, oh. um, just for meditative thoughts but also relating to art kind of things. I am currently in an artist residency also where we are tackling the concepts of how art and race and faith can all combine. Oh, interesting. Like a healing environment and we're going, it's, it's very intense. <laughs> um, it's, it's been really intense. So that's an online residency with a cohort of other artists and it's directed. It's, it's been really, really intense, lots of heavy reading and stuff. And through that program, I am working on a body of work also that will actually eventually have a teaching component as well, where people can take the class that I will I'm creating that as part of this residency. I'm creating this class and then people can take the class and interact actually doing collage based on my quilts. And then we would converse and some of them may end up being quilts again. And mm. yeah. so. that's so cool. Oh, I'm so yeah. glad. I'm glad to hear yeah. you've got lots of, lots of things popping. So many things. <laughs> great. And I know I need to haul my sewing machine back out of the closet and get to work on my grandma's quilt that we, that we talked about. It needs help. And, you know, just to feel that fabric again, even though it's polyester, but just doesn't to, matter. Yeah. Sentimental. It matters. Yep. You know? Exactly. Like, yeah. So given how far you've come and the, all these great discoveries about yourself and about others and, and art and textiles, what would you tell your 13 year old self or what do you wish you'd known at 13? What I try to say to everyone, which is that, you know, you don't have to be perfect to be creative. I think I thought that creativity happened one way, right? So mm. I grew up with a really, like I said, in a design family and everything had to be functional mm. and it had to work. And 
that's actually the way I have deviated a little bit. A lot of what I do is not functional and it doesn't work. It just is there because it needs to be said. And I think I would tell myself, first of all, keep writing poetry, which I started then. And I would tell myself to not be afraid to fail. Oh, yes. You know, I think there's, there's two quotes that I always tell myself. And one is, um, I think it's by Socrates. I don't know. It says the perfect is the enemy of the good. I was just thinking about that. Yes. So that's a big one for me. And then there's a, there's also a, it's a verse from the Bible that says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. And it's, and I, when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, like I, there's been so many times when I've hated the first draft of something or that my first version of something, or I look mm-hmm. down on it because it's not good enough. And I have to remind myself, it's okay to be a beginner. So yeah. I think if I, I wish I had known earlier that it was okay to fail and kind of be lousy at stuff. I do too. I think about so many things that I stopped myself from doing because I thought I already had to be perfect at it. How ridiculous. What a waste of time. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to teach that to my kids, but even, even they don't want to hear mom say that, you know, of course not. And, and that's partly why I love Sylvia's classes too, because make, literally make mistakes. Yep. And, yep. and, I'll, and as a writer, you know, your first draft is always terrible, but you can't edit what's not on the page. So you've got to start somewhere. Right. So I love the concept of like, it's all, we're, we're planting seeds, it's small beginnings. We're planting seeds. You don't yet know what, how they're going to blossom and you just have to right. trust Don't that. hate on them. Don't hate yeah. on them. <laughs> yeah. It may be a, an, an unassuming seed now, but just plant it and you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Exactly. I love that. Allison. I am looking at your website and this is some of the most spectacular work I've ever seen. I'm in the memory quilt section and I'm, my eyes are tearing up as I'm looking at these photographs. Aww. They are exquisite. First of all, your work is exquisite, but like I found the quilt you were telling the story about. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. And I also have to ask, just because I'm looking at the picture of the freedom quilt and you have an old singer. Yes. Is, is that a machine? Tell me about the machine. I did not sew that quilt on that, on that machine. Um, But but it's, it's, is that a, is that a machine of like sentimental value? I, you know what it is because it's now been in my house. Um, I found it online. It's an old treadle machine. Um, Even the other day we were redoing some furniture and I said to my husband, do we, you know, like it's this, this takes up a lot of space, honey. Like, should we still have it? He's like, no, we're not getting rid of that. You know? So, but I just, um, I, I love sewing machines. I love new ones. I love old ones. I have a couple featherweights. I have that treadle machine. Um, there's such beauty to me in a machine that's a hundred years old. That can yes. still do job. Seeing that singer made me think of my mom's machine, which is a conversion, a converted singer, which is very, very yeah. cool. And yeah, keep it, keep yeah. it. It's, it's precious. My kids all love like doing the little pedal and everything. Yeah. Little. It's, you know, there's, there's just beauty to it. And the fact, I mean, really, truly like the machines that I had that were from like, you know, the junky ones I bought when I was just getting back into sewing and stuff, they're, they're junk. And then the ones from that I have that from the 1920s, they still work. That's amazing. Yeah. 
they were good. You know, they were built to last. They used to cost as much as a car, but wow. they're last and they do. I the one thing I will say is that I learned real quick that if you get into sewing seriously, a, a few extra hundred bucks on a machine makes you look good. <laughs> and it makes you not frustrated and angry when you sew. A lot that of people, does sound good. I yeah. cursed a lot when I was making my quilt. Yeah. A lot of people buy a cheap machine and then they say, I hate sewing, but it's actually that they hate their machine. Interesting. That's good to know. Liberty, thank you so much for joining me and sharing with, with, with us. I really appreciate it. And um, I just, I love your work and I really appreciate, um, you know, unlocking a little bit more about how to grieve and how to move through this world and be a better person. Thank you. I think that, you know, we all have a measure of that right now that we're having to process. Yeah. And there's some, there's some common ground for all of us right now. And I'm really appreciative that the chance to get to talk with you about it. Next time on Hearthside Salons, it's hard to know where to begin when talking about a legend or to a legend. British production executive Katie Haber has an MBE from the Queen. She's a founding member of BAFTA. She worked with Sam Peckinpah on eight of his films, and she was instrumental in a little film called Blade Runner. Her family fled the Nazis, and she had an amazing journey finding the truth of her roots. In the middle of great success here in LA, she devoted herself to creating some amazing homeless charity and outreach programs, and spent her days going from skid row to the red carpet. Her life deserves a movie of its own. In a series of conversations to round out Hearthside Season 1, I'll talk with Katie about life, movies, purpose, and real family. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept to pages screenwriting courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, or to be part of our live recording audience, visit us at pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from PageCraft. Thanks for listening and stay well.